The scripture reading for today uh, comes from Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11. Again, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Good morning. Beautiful day today. Beautiful set of songs, especially that, that last song, Lord, I am fondly, earnestly longing into thy holy likeness to grow. And I would just say, uh, we are in a complicated world. I wish it were simple. And maybe it's more simple than we make it. But there are so many choices, so many decisions. Illustrate that there was a, a man by the name of Herbert Asquith. He was a British prime minister from 1908 to 1916. And on one occasion he spent a weekend at a very wealthy estate owned by the, the Rothschild family called the Waddiston Estate. And um, the butler of the house came to him and had this conversation with him. The butler said, tea, coffee, or a peach from off the wall, sir? Asquith answered, tea, please. The butler, China, India, or Ceylon, sir? Uh, Asquith answered, China, please. The butler said, lemon, milk, or cream, sir? He said, milk, please. And then the butler said, Jersey, Hereford, or Shorthorn? <laughs> now, I, of course, would have gone Shorthorn. I wouldn't have. I don't even know what that is. I've never, don't know that I've ever seen a Shorthorn, but... In any case, it illustrates the fact that sometimes there are so many decisions. You know, uh, I am mercilessly put on the spot, not only by the restaurant help, but by my own family when it comes to telling the waiter or waitress what food that I want to order. 
and uh, they're like, you know, can you just decide? Can it just be simple? I'll have number 42. <laughs> That's it. And then they ask more questions, but they get embarrassed because I ask them questions. Does that have this or does it have that? And, and suddenly, uh, more than one, on more than one occasion, the waiter or waitress has to go back and ask somebody in the kitchen because I've just asked them something that they don't even know or remember. Uh, and uh, it's, there's so many choices that we have every single day. Someone in a research project uh, some years ago estimated in their research they came up with a number of over 1,200, I don't remember the exact number, over 1,200 decisions that we make every single day. It's complicated. It's tough. And yet we're called to make those decisions. Sometimes we make resolutions. It's, again, uh, some of the studies have said that 17% of people, this is according to Time Magazine, uh, only 17% of all resolutions are kept. 73% of, of the uh, people break them within a week. That's not a very long kind of commitment. And what we are really talking about here is commitment. And this is really what Paul was getting at. Paul was, was encouraging, and this is evident in the Colossians. It's evident in the Galatians. In his writing to these congregations, they were facing the challenge of a world where the culture is going wacky, if you will. It's going so crazy that the people don't know what's right or wrong anymore, and they're so influenced by all kinds of different input. But when it comes to the things of God, we are called, and Paul reinforces this very clearly, we're called to choose wisely. Roy Bennett, uh, in a book, The Light in the Heart, said this, attitude is a choice. Happiness is a choice. Optimism is a choice. Kindness is a choice. Giving is a choice. Respect is a choice. Whatever choice you make, makes you. Choose wisely. And we, we see Paul echoing that as well and, and, and reinforcing the importance of that. If you're going to stand for the Lord, if there's going to be anything good that comes out of what we call this Christian faith, it's going to have to be willing to stand against the choices that move us further away from God. Now, I'm just going to very, very quickly walk through this passage again because uh, Doug did a great job of reading it. I, I'm not, this is not a criticism to Doug. Um, I won't make him come back up here and try again. But uh, notice a couple of phrases that stand out. And I just want to highlight these because, because they're very significant phrases. He says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts. Now, what does that mean? That means be under conviction. Do whatever you choose and do it boldly. Paul said that in another place. 
be bold in making a clear decision to join with the resurrection of Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Then he says in verse 2, set your minds on things above. Okay, so my heart is set. It's that conviction. It's that I believe this strongly enough that I'm going to live by it, I'm going to follow it, and I'm going to reinforce it and teach it. Some people wonder why children sometimes don't grow up to take on values or, or, to, or don't grow up to particularly know what's right or wrong. And part of it is because sometimes as parents, we don't make it clear to them that they have a choice. But that as for, and just like Joshua, every parent ought to be able to say this. As for me and my house, as for us and our house, we will serve the Lord. And to be able to make that commitment and to stand on it and say, I'm going to orient my life around it, speaks volumes to the younger generations of saying this world needs people that are ready and willing to stand up to all of the chaos around us. And that chaos says this, the chaos that the church is being challenged and the church is being challenged even from within Christendom, even within many of the churches, it's being challenged to say, you can't say anything's wrong. Because if you do, it's not loving. It's only loving if you just bless whatever is chosen. Which is kind of illogical because then why would you even have to choose anything? Because everything's okay, so you don't have to choose. The point we're making here is Paul is saying, look, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things and so he is clearly saying there are things of God and there are things that are not of God and we're called to make that choice for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you also appear with him in glory verse 5 put to death therefore whatever belongs to the earthly nature and he gives you that wonderful list Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, and, and, and the way this is written, Paul is saying, because of these kinds of things. So if you're just looking for only what's on that list, that's not enough. Uh, he says, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Take off, he says in verse 9, since you have taken off your old self and have put on your new self. Now that's a choice. That's a choice that we make to not just once at baptism, but every day make a choice to keep putting, taking off the old self and putting on the new 
which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. That's what God wanted all along. God's desire all along was to restore us to the, to the image of what he created us to be. And that's why the idea that you don't have to choose that everything is okay is despicable to God. Because God is saying, no, no, wait a minute. I didn't design you for evil. I didn't design you for anything goes. I designed you for the way I created you to be in communion with God and in right relationship. And so we're, we're called to take off that old self, put on the new and to be renewed. And he goes on in verses 12, which was just the verse after uh, what Doug read. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And he gives those other instructions. Now, if you are a parent, if you are a teacher, if you are a pastor, if you are a missionary, if you are working in any field and you have people that work under you, you have an opinion about what works best and how you want them to function and operate. God has that idea for us. He has a design for how we are to live in communion. And so it is an important point that we are called to make our choices according to the things above. Now we say, well, that is, aren't you just talking about getting to heaven? No, we're talking about bringing heaven here and now. Every single choice we make for the cause of Christ is a choice that makes a difference in someone's life and in this world. Every single choice. This morning, there may be a future missionary sitting right here beside you. You look around and you pray for each other in a way that the Spirit of God comes and calls people out because the whole goal of the Christian faith is not to just get rid of sin. Notice Paul's language. Set your minds, set your hearts, be renewed, and then go back to doing the same things, right? No, that's not what he says. You set your heart, your minds, your souls, your convictions, your beliefs, your declarations of faith in a direction and see where that's going to lead you because God's got great things. Now, I got to tell you, I don't know that I could do that. In fact, I will tell you that I can't ever do that. That bowl of worms. But if I were in the situation because of Christ in me, I would do everything. I would do it. I would do it. And I wouldn't just do it for an MYF fundraiser or a Click Club fundraiser. Don't get any ideas. Come on. 
But you see, it's not we that develop the capability of being able to do that. And I think Sung Bin's description of, by the way, childhood friend, right? He, was, he, he, he and Sung Bin go way back and, and keep in, in close touch. He was able to do this because of Christ in him. That desire to share the message of reconciliation, the message of reuniting with a brother or sister. That message of bringing the gospel there is so overpowering, I would eat worms for the sake of a new brother and sister in Christ. We can't do it on our own. We need the Lord's strength. But Paul is clearly saying, if you want to have an effective life, if you want to have a fulfilled life, not a perfect life, Paul doesn't say that, but if you want that life, you will set your hearts and your minds on the things of God. It's amazing in a culture that is growingly destroyed by addictions that we we need to rise up as a church and as a community to say it's not okay it will lead to destruction it takes you away from the things of god and see that's a, that's the the, the the great criticism well you just want to talk people uh, into making decisions so they don't go to hell Well, yeah, I I don't particularly think that's a bad thing (laughs) Uh, to, to teach people not to go there. But here's the point Paul is making if you read through his writings to the early Christians. And it's significant that these churches were early, early in their spiritual walk, in their understanding. God has a mission and a purpose and has something for us to do with not just the message of the gospel, but the power of the Holy Spirit's leading in not only bringing other people to faith, but making a difference in their lives. Oh my goodness. There is so much need right now around this country for healing. And the brokenness of the violence and the bloodshed and lives being lost And we as a church better never be insensitive to the fact that that's why we're called. Not just to not go to hell. And not just to get to heaven. But we are called to bring heaven here and make a difference in people's lives here. And if we don't do that, then all we're doing is saying, well, we're a good church. I'm a good Christian. I don't sin. You've just sinned. The part is that Paul gets to is if you never come to that clear choice of faith, you're never going to be able to accomplish what God has called you to do and to unleash the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and and producing uh, a vision for something that you can never do on your own. Some of you are, are newer, or if you're visiting, you wouldn't necessarily know this 
some, the, most of the longer-term people here would remember that in Papua New Guinea, we supported Dwight and Margaret Hartzler for many, many years as Dwight completed the Bible translation in a, in a different language in another part of Papua New Guinea is quite spread out and large. The Indonesia is large. And, and, um, and, and I just sat there and I thought about, wow, what Dwight faced as he was beginning uh, what's your friend's name? Kwang Young uh, is, is, is now just beginning that work of translation. And one day, they will be reading the Bible that we read, and they will be listening to the teaching of Paul, and they will be instructed in the ways of righteousness and holiness, and they will have an assurance and a peace and a joy in their salvation that they can resource regularly because of that translation work and because of one act of being willing to eat what they eat. There is power in being able to accomplish what God calls us to, but we won't get to it if we're still stuck in the immobility of not being able to choose. Can't choose because that would offend someone. If you choose this, that's going to offend someone. But we are called to choose Christ regardless of any of that. It is in a culture of addictions, we have got to say no to the addictive nature of sin and to say yes. So I'm going to simply point out five replacement themes that come from not only this passage, but I'm also going to share one uh, from Galatians as well. But the first one is simply to, to empty ourselves of sin means that that's the way that we then fill with the word of God and fi be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we don't empty ourselves of sin first, then we are simply inviting the, the Holy Spirit inviting the work of Christ to be scotch taped on our side like a sticky note. I don't know why I did it, but I had a note for Doug this morning and I stuck it in my pocket on a sticky note. And then I went to get it out of my pocket and it was all crumpled up and it was a mess. I need, we need more than sticky notes. We need the clarity of saying, look, we need to empty ourselves and set our sights on the things that God calls us to. So we are, Paul says very clearly, empty yourselves of sin and be filled with the word and with the Holy Spirit. The more the, someone said, the more Bible you have living in you, and notice we didn't say how much Bible you've memorized. It's not memorization. Or how much you know. But uh, it's how much the Bible is living in us. So initially we read the Bible and then you read it a second time. And I don't mean the whole Bible. Um, you can do that and some, many of you have. But you read scripture and then you read it again. In, in a lot of Bible study methods recently, we've been seeing this. They call it Lectio Divina, which is essentially a reading of the word, a reflection on what stood out for you, a rereading of the word and, and sharing then together with other people 
or making notes if you're just by yourself, and then rereading it again. And read it until it's not just what you don't do, it's what you do do. It's what you're called to. It's what God is allowing to emerge. So we look away from the emptiness of sin and to, to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And, and that's why this whole series of freedom is, is not about just what we leave behind and don't do. It's what God wants to do through us that we're trying to encourage each other and spur each other on. Secondly, look away from earthly things and focus on things above. If you... <laughs> There would be certain TV shows. I will not get into trouble by naming them. But there would be some TV shows that I would say, in my opinion, my humble opinion, have no redeeming value in them. And when they show up in my channel surfing, and I'm good at it. I've got one of the most powerful thumbs (laughs) in the county. I am a very, very accomplished channel surfer. I see that show flash up, boom, I'm off. I don't even, I don't even leave it on there long enough to hear any of the, ver- the vocal stuff. I don't want to hear it. And we've got to have that kind of determination to, to, to pass over and say no to the things that are, are just flat out the wrong direction and yes to the things that encourage us. We've got to be able to do that screening and to look away and to set our focus, as Paul says, on the things above. The third one is to put to death sin. So Paul, Paul isn't just saying, hey, shy away from sin. Hey, just try not to get too close to that. You know, try not to bump into that stand. You know, no, Paul is saying, look, just stay away from it. In fact, Put it somewhere else. I won't I'll do this to the musicians, but take it and put it. If it's in my path, move it. By the power of God, move it. Or go a different route. Jesus was always choosing his route on the basis of where he felt called to share the gospel. And he was willing to change that. And the disciples would say, you're like, remember when we went through Samaria? Uh, he, uh, the disciples like, why are you going that way? He knew there was a woman at the well waiting and needing desperately to receive the water of life that will make her thirst no more. He knew that. He was willing to change his route in order to accomplish that for her and to bring her a new sense of peace. Put to death sin. And bring to life the Holy Spirit. Fourth, give up self-reliance. That's the battle here. We don't want anybody knowing our stuff. We are private. We, are, we, we tend to, uh, to, to basically accommodate a culture of isolation, a culture of individualism, a culture of, well, it's more comfortable for me. Yeah, it's, it's more comfortable. Um, there are lots of things that are more comfortable. That doesn't necessarily mean that God is calling me to it. There's a lot of things that are easier. Well, something does something for me. That's great. But what is it accomplishing for God? 
And, and Paul is saying, look, embrace the power of community. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Paul talks about the community of faith, meaning the church, not this building, this people. Paul talks about that a lot and we don't notice it. Galatians 5, 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for, for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You can't serve one another if you don't spend time with one another, if you don't eat meals with one another, if you don't fellowship, if you don't gather for worship, if you don't take communion, if, if you don't send a card or a letter or give a phone call. You can't experience that. And there is power in community that is so significant to the faith and it's under attack. Community is under attack, at least here in this country, in a way that it never has been before. He goes on to say, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another or consumed by sin is another way of saying it. Essentially saying, look, you need community to be able to be healthy and to be strong and to keep your focus and to keep your attention on the things above. It's a powerful part of it. And finally, don't focus on what's wrong. Uh, this is something that, that Paul talks about in a multitude of his passages. He talks about focusing on the things that they're there to, to give thanks for. And it's one place he talks about giving thanks for all things. Because even if it was something that was bad or, or awful, now pray for the redemptive and, and resurrected work of Christ to bring life out of it. Doesn't make it good what happened. It's terrible, it's awful. But now let's overcome it with the power of Christ and to be able to focus on what's right. I've often said it this way, in, in, close, in, in marriage relationships and even with close friendships, if the only thing you ever talked about is what you didn't like about each other, you're probably not going to stay very close to each other for, for it's not going to last long until you start finding about and focusing on the things that you appreciate, the things you're thankful for. You want to be close to God? Give thanks. Recognize the blessings that are there. Recognize the things that you've come through. And remember that you probably couldn't have come through it by yourself. That's why Paul says this. It, and it sounds so odd in some ways because it sounds so obvious. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Uh, okay, that makes sense, right? Because it is in that freedom that we find who we are. 
We declare who we are to the world. We do it unashamedly, and we do it without embarrassment, and we do it with a sense of purpose. We are declaring our household, our heart, our mind for the Lord. And, and that's the power of it. Um, so to, to look forward to what God has for you to, to do what is right and to continue to make a difference people. So, you know, we, we have to first, you know, keep making a choice between the things that enslave us or the things that are going to continue to free us. So sometimes the, the, you could say it this way and boil it down to one thing. It's freedom from bondage. It's freedom from failure. But it's freedom to love and it's freedom to serve. Christ didn't come to set us free to just be okay. I'm okay, you're okay. Great book from the probably the 60s or 70s, probably 70s. I'm okay, you're okay. Everybody's just okay. We just get to that place, we're all okay. Hey, hey, you're fine, man. Just, yeah, don't change the thing. No. The call is to move to love and service, to power and peace, to a trust in God that is amazing. So when Paul says in Galatians 5, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now that is directly against everything about our culture, saying whatever is okay, it's not. God has a strong opinion about that. And we are called to crucify the flesh. And we're called to live by the Spirit. And then he says in verse 24 or 25, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Well, you can't keep in step if we don't first make that change uh, and, and really give it over. I, I found a, a, a part of John Wesley's story that I'll close with this that, that I thought was, was unique and interesting. Um, he was the son of a clergyman. He became a clergyman himself. He was orthodox in belief, faithful in, in his morality, full of good works. He did ministry in prisons, sweatshops, slums. He gave food, clothing, education, to, to children, he observed the, the Sabbath both on Saturday and Sunday. How about that, folks? Oh, wait, that's too much church. You got to come on Saturday mornings now, starting next week, right? Just kidding. Uh, but he, was, he had all these things. He actually sailed England uh, to the American colonies as a missionary. He studied, studied the Bible, prayed, fasted, gave regularly. And yet all of this time, nobody knew it. Even with all of the preaching and all of the ministry and all of the service, he felt like he was internally in chains. Because he had trusted in what he could do to make himself right before God instead of trusting what Jesus had done. One evening on May 24th, 1738, Wesley was persuaded to attend a meeting. Here's what he records in his journal about that evening. 
He says, in the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one of one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt strangely warmed. I felt I did trust, I felt I did trust in Christ and Christ alone for the salvation. And he said, um, in that moment, there was an assurance that was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And later he came to that sense of trust and began changing in his preaching about trusting in Jesus, not because he was able, but because Christ did it for us. So none of us are going to be perfect without sin, except Christ living in us day by day, moment by moment. And he says, uh, looking back at that, he said, I had even then the faith of a servant, though not that of a son. That's an interesting comment. You can serve and serve and serve and serve, but inside not feel like you really belong. And that's a miserable feeling. And I want to say today, if you have the love of Christ in your heart, claim and choose today to accept what Christ did for us. You are blessed. You are promised the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to continue to be about the work. Uh, we're going to close with this song. I invite the musicians to come up. This hymn is called, uh, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Now, I just want to tell you very quickly, Louisa Stead wrote this hymn. She wrote this hymn about two years after she had something happen. She and her husband and their four-year-old daughter were sitting on a picnic lawn by the, uh, by the water. And they heard cries for help. And Louisa's husband ran to go help. And the boy was drowning and he went in and was pulled in as well. And they both drowned right there in front of Louisa and their four-year-old daughter. They had no money. They went through incredible poverty. They were helped some by the church and by the community. But they didn't know where their help would come from for a long time. And she began to do similar to what John Wesley did. She went back and she felt the words of this song overwhelm her one evening as she just rested in the fact that it is that personal trust that Jesus will lead me through as long as I continue to just make choices for the cause of Christ. He is faithful and he will lead us through. Not because we're able, but because he has done that work for us. The work of forgiveness, the work of grace, the work of life. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Let's stand and sing.